This is We Are Jet. Hello and welcome. My name is Ed Palmer. On this podcast, we tell the stories of people who've had to drastically readjust their mindset, team culture, and ways of working, all to match the pace of a rapidly changing organization. In this episode, I speak with Jazz Rabadia, Global Head of Responsible Business and Sustainability, about the challenges and opportunities that companies face in a world that demands sustainability. We'll discuss what responsible business means at JET, why sustainability isn't an obstacle to profitability, and how leadership, based on personal experience, inclusion and diversity, creates better teams. You know, ultimately, we need a planet to be able to serve takeaways on. And if we don't put that P first, it doesn't matter how much profit you make, right? We've got to put planet and people alongside profit to truly thrive. Hello and welcome, Jazz. In this age of international virtual recording for podcasts, where are you recording from? Where are you now? Hi, Ed. Uh, really nice to meet you. I'm recording from not so sunny Stanmore. Okay. Northwest London. Okay. Northwest London. Um, so before we start, please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you and generally where you fit within the JET team. Okay, cool. So my name is Jazz Rabadia. I head up Responsible Business and Sustainability. So that's a function that sits within the wider marketing division. I am a sustainability professional, have been doing this for the last 15 years or so. Um, Just super passionate about making a difference, um, helping, I guess, look after the one planet that we have, but then also um, supporting businesses in in doing their bit as well. So it's not just about us as individuals, but also how can businesses get involved? From a personal perspective, where do you think that passion comes from? Is it something that you've always had, you've always carried with you? To be honest, I think it really all stemmed from, um, I studied mechanical engineering And at the time I had to take some additional modules and energy management and renewable energy, to be honest, sounded the easiest of the options that I had. So I decided to go for those. But that's when I saw how actually engineering could be applied to everyday life and yeah, really make a difference kind of for future generations. And that's when the kind of almost the penny dropped for me. It was like, hey, I can... I can apply everything that engineering is, right? Which is problem solving, which is kind of creativity, which is um, kind of just finding solutions and and improving things and apply it to um, the world of environment and sustainability and like genuinely make a difference to um, my future, but, you know, everybody's future. And so that's where, yeah, it really, it really felt like meaningful work. Fantastic. And I know that you're really passionate about, um, as an engineer, about women in STEM, and we'll come to that a little bit later on in the podcast. What about JET? When did you join? And more crucially, when did you know that that you guys were the right fit? Yeah, I mean, great question. I've I've only been there a year, so I'm quite, I still think of myself as quite the newbie. But yeah, you know, for me, it's always been really important to work with and choose brands um, who really kind of resonate with me, right? Whose culture, whose values really resonate with mine. Um, but also it's really important for me to work for, for companies that I can have like a real impact, but also impact at scale is really important for me. So, you know, you either kind of go down the route of like a startup, um, organization where it's, um, probably really big projects, but 
you know, small impact or, you know, even a small project at Jet can have a really big impact across the globe in, in terms of the 20 different countries that we operate in, the 680,000 partners that we talk to and the 98 million consumers that use our platform. Like that is what really attracted me to this company in terms of anything that I do. Um, if I can, if I can do it, if I can do small things, it will have um, a really big impact. So were you looking prior to taking the role with Jet, were you thinking, was there, a, was there a seed in your head of how can this impact have the, have the greatest scale possible? Were you looking for a role whereby you could impact across the globe? Yeah, I mean, and, and this is partly, I guess, from, from my personal perspective, right? So I've worked for UK brands, I've worked for European brands, I've also worked for global brands, but each time I, I kind of look for that next move, I'm thinking about how is this going to be bigger? How am I going to grow within the role and what additional opportunities will it provide? So that can sometimes mean, you know, the size of the team. It can also mean the scope of the work. It can also mean the geographies in which you're operating, right? But for me, it's always been around, is this giving me the stretch um, that I need whilst also fulfilling that piece around, you know, I want to have a bigger impact. So yes, lots of um, boxes ticked with Jet in terms of global footprint, um, a massive amount of opportunity in terms of the people that this service touches, right? In terms of the people that use our platform. Um, and then also the opportunity to kind of really make a, a difference in an area that they were already interested in, right? So it's not as though I've come in, you know, one year in and got people to care about sustainability. No, they very it was very much at the core. And for me, it was around how do I advance and accelerate the efforts that are already in play? It feels like your vision there for something which is uh, hugely ambitious and transformative on a massive scale kind of aligns with Jet's vision too. Is that what you've found since you've, since you've been there? Yeah, and the beauty of sustainability um, is that people genuinely do care. Often they don't know how. And so really unlocking the, what can I do? How can I help? Um, is actually what I do, right? So people often say, oh, you, you're an engineer, must be very technical, must be very academic. Actually, the majority of what I spend my time doing is um, informing, educating, um, influencing, inspiring people to do things within their, their own remit and within their own jobs to almost serve my purpose, right? Which is um, helping Jet become a more responsible and sustainable business. Okay, let's unpack that a little bit, get some details. What are your, what does responsible and sustainable business mean from your perspective? And really what have your focus, what has your focus been over this last year? And also where does it, that's too many questions, isn't it? Let's start with the first one. What does responsible and sustainable business mean within Jet? Yeah, great question, Ed. Um, because responsible business does mean different things in different organisations, Right. Um, and so for us at Jet, it really centers around this ethos of like being a good ma business matters just as much as like doing good business. Um, and at Jet, we're quite uniquely positioned, right? So we've got about 680,000 restaurant partners, um, 94 million consumers um, that operate across 20 different countries. So there's a real opportunity to use the scale that we have to actually land some good stuff um, for the planet. So for us, we focus our efforts on like three key areas um, where we believe we can have a positive action. So in summary, they are planet, food, and people in society. Uh, and across those, we really think about this in two ways. One is what's within our control under those three pillars. And the second is what's within our influence. 
So as an example, something like the carbon footprint of our offices, that's very much within our control. You know, we buy the electricity, we buy um, the gas, we control how efficiently those buildings run. But when it comes to a topic like sustainable packaging, that's actually something that's more within our influence. It's our restaurant partners that are purchasing this packaging. It's our restaurant partners that are selecting, um, you know, how things are packaged before they go out to the consumer for delivery. So really looking at taking that approach across those three different pillars, we cover topics such as um, dietary choices, food waste, uh, the working conditions of our kind of employees that are driving around in in either bicycles or e-bikes or cars, um, as well as those sitting in the office, making sure that we've got um, good working conditions, like well-being is paramount, inclusion, diversity, and belonging is important, and that we are supporting the people that make our ecosystem work, right? So whether it's the people placing the orders, the restaurants cooking the food, or the drivers um, getting that food from A to B, that is what being a responsible business means to us, making sure that every step of that way, we are delivering a more sustainable order. So some people listening might be thinking sustainability, responsibility for an organization as large as Jet, where the focus has to be on efficiency and profitability. Maybe those two things are kind of opposed to each other. So I guess my question is, is, profit- is profitability the enemy of sustainability? Do those two things clash? I don't think that they do at all. In fact, a lot of the business cases that we put forward are taking into account the kind of commercial wins, right? So they boost profitability or they can support our profitability goals. And the way I think of this um, is very much, you know, ultimately we need a planet to be able to serve takeaways on. And if we don't put that P first, it doesn't matter how much profit you make, right? We've got to put planet and people alongside profit to truly thrive. I think um, a lot of people, certainly myself, didn't understand that under that broad sustainability umbrella, that society and culture are under that umbrella too. We tend to think of it in terms of net zero or recyclable packaging, that kind of thing. But but people are a vital part of that sustainability package too, aren't they? People are, are very much at the heart of any sustainability strategy, right? It cannot and will not live in, you know, the, the, the five people that make up the central sustainability team. It only works if it's embedded in all of the different teams. So part of what my team are really focused on this year is how do we um, almost take our responsible business and sustainability framework on tour? So we have been roadshowing it to each of the different teams. So whether that's marketing, um, HR, legal, our product team, our sales team, and really just educating and empowering them to build sustainability and to build um, sustainability objectives into their day job. Because that's that's when we will truly be able to make a difference. So uh, hopefully this isn't too simplistic a question, but what are those key messages? What are you saying to, um, well, to people within the organization and to your partners? What what are the key messages about sustainability? And as you say, um, integrating those messages into their, their daily routines? Yeah. So if I, if I talk about employees and what we're trying to share with employees, really taking them on that journey, right? So assuming that um, they don't know a huge amount about the topic, they're not the subject matter experts, really explaining to them, like in the context of the world, why is sustainability, climate change, why is this important? Why does it matter? Um, then honing in on like, yeah, who are the people that are interested in this, right? So it's not just, I mean, 
part of this is we're doing it because it's the right thing to do, but there's also an expectation externally for us to do this, whether it's our consumers, whether it's our partners, whether it's um, government and um, legislative requirements. There are lots of different drivers um, that require us to be more responsible when it comes to our kind of environmental footprint. Um, but then really talking about it in the context of jet, right? So what are the areas where we can influence this and how do we go about doing it? But part of this is not knowing the answers. It's very much around solutionizing with the individuals, right? So if I'm talking to I don't know, the marketing team, it's very much around, hey, within marketing, within what you can control within your remit, what are some of the suggestions or what are some of the ideas that you think can help us reduce our carbon footprint, can help us to improve our packaging, can help us better communicate with our restaurant partners and consumers and really unlocking the ideas that already exist within the workforce because that's where the best ideas are had. Like it's on the ground, right? And I may not know the best solutions from a product perspective or the best sustainability solutions from a people perspective. And so really... Um, going on tour to get the ideas from the ground uh, and then um, I guess finding a way to convert them into a reality. So putting in place structures and processes whereby um, you integrate all those um, those pieces of information. from And getting their buy-in right because they've yeah. had the idea often there's there's they want to follow through with it. And so you've got that buy-in and you mentioned that people do genuinely want to help when it comes to sustainability. People want to contribute. You've got that buy-in from people inside Jet. Has this response been the same from customers? Are customers, is it something customers want too? Yeah, I mean, we hear it a lot, right? That customers um, care and they want brands to do more in this space. Um, and we've just actually started that journey in terms of, so it was just started talking to consumers about that journey. So getting them to understand and to realize that, yeah, their takeaway has an impact on the environment, right? From the moment that they pick up their phone and press that button on the app um, through to the moment that doorbell rings, uh, every step of the way, there's a, there's an impact. And we are we want to work with them to address that, those impacts. So that can range from like how, um, what, what food choices they're making. There are certain, yeah. you know, um, the more, for example, the less dairy and meat uh, that one might consume will have a better impact on the environment, as an example. So it's the kind of food that they're choosing. It's also how that food is then packaged. It's how that food is then delivered. It's what they then do with any food that hasn't been consumed. So there are lots of kind of touch points of and interventions, right, in terms of delivering a more sustainable order. And that's what we, we're really taking them on that journey to help a, just educate them, um, and B, start to give them some tips and tricks of of how they can get involved. Um, so whether that's, I don't know, how they remix their leftover chips or how to safely store any leftover rice, um, we're starting to kind of give them some inspiration as what they what they can do with any, what they can do to love their leftovers a little bit more. Leftovers takeaway, they're just not doing it right. If there's leftovers, they're not trying hard enough. Right, um, so let's talk about some of the challenges that you face, both that you faced over the last year, in your first year within Jet, but also the sustainability sector face. And I guess one that I'm really interested in is the notion of greenwashing. I think that it's very important um, for businesses to be um, transparent uh, in their in their disclosures, whatever they might be, whether it's a marketing um, campaign or whether it's a, you know, report that the, a thorough report that's being put out there. I think that transparency and accuracy is key. 
but as a, yeah, as a sustainability professional, I've definitely seen that people, that, that these greenwashing claims are becoming ever more apparent. Um, and that it, it could potentially, it could almost scare people into inaction. Yeah, hundred percent. Because of the fear of, um, yeah, the fear of greenwashing being put out there. But I think most companies, I, w- I would say, it's fair to say that most companies want to do the right thing, want to get a handle on it, want to be able to authentically um, and transparently communicate the good news um, that they're doing. And they want to inspire others within their sector to do the same. Let's talk about the good stuff that you're doing then and the potential to inspire other people within your sector. Over the last year, has there been any moment you can think of where you've been really proud of your team? Uh, You know, uh, an opportunity to celebrate the times you wanted to embrace them. I mean, there's lots. Uh, The one I'll pick out, I think because this goes back to the scale piece, right? And how do we touch um, the different areas of our kind of value chain? Uh, and this was earlier this year, we released a restaurant sustainability guide. So this is taking all that we know as sustainability professionals within JET and the things that we've learned and almost gifting it to restaurant partners and particularly targeting restaurant partners, independent restaurant partners, those that don't hire sustainability professionals. They don't have um, energy managers. They don't have um, kind of people looking at how they can transition their fleet, et cetera. Right. And really, I think giving them actionable um, tools and tips and tricks to address sustainability within their operation. And that's not just saying, Hey, this is a really great thing to do for the planet but also explaining this is great for building um, kind of loyalty within your customer base. This is a great PR opportunity from a, you know, um, how do you single yourself out from your competitors? And most importantly, given the current climate, this is a great opportunity for you to start to drive down some of your costs, particularly with things like energy um, and food waste and um, kind of efficient um equipment within your operations. Uh, And we're not just giving them a whole bunch of ideas. We're talking to them around how Jet can help support those ideas. So whether that's, here's a discount on an e-bike or here's a deal that you can, um, you can have via our wholesaler to recycle your used cooking oil. Um, Or if it's, you know, here is some sustainable packaging that we've already vetted that we're offering at a great commercial competitive rate and it's plastic free. You know, that's the kind of, it's not just about giving them the ideas, it's also giving them the solutions um, in a way that they wouldn't get necessarily from another platform. Because again, we're using our scale for good. And that, for me, it was a really proud moment because this is about thinking, this is thinking about our impact beyond our own operations. This is about um, taking what we know and, sharing it like you said like I said earlier it's about inspiring and sharing um yeah uh, inspiring inspiring that change amongst our restaurant partners brilliant thanks very much let's talk briefly about inspiration and I hope this doesn't make you feel uncomfortable but I know uh, Jazz that you are uh, an MBE and for anybody listening not in the UK the MBE is a, a very prestigious award which is given for significant contributions to society do you, can you tell us a little bit about that I mean about the, what you were awarded the MBE for and and how you felt about it Probably one of the most proudest moments of my career by far, um, because it was totally unexpected. So um, early on in my career, I did a lot of work around engaging more young people, um, particularly women, into science, tech, engineering and maths, because, you know, as the only female on my engineering course, I just didn't want, I just didn't understand why more people weren't studying what I was studying. 
And I really wanted to almost change the face of the industry that I was working in, right? So I would walk into most rooms and I could just, I screamed different. Um, and I wanted to actively help to change that. So I went about a personal mission to go and share um, with schools, universities, organizations, and, and just showcase what it meant to be an engineer, what it meant to be um, a woman working in energy and sustainability. And really, again, back to the, how do I inspire people to consider this career? I kind of fell into it by accident, but I want people to join it on purpose. Um, and I, so, so I did a whole bunch of volunteering, any kind of spare time I had um, outside of work, often inside of work time, I would go out and raise awareness and fly the flag. And, and someone somewhere still anonymously uh, recognized the work that I was doing in that space and put me forward um, to be considered for this MBE. Um, yeah, I feel like it's worth reiterating to anyone who doesn't know, it's a really big deal. <laughs> so I don't mean to embarrass you, but yeah, it's it, a really big yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, it really, it, it, was a, it was a really big deal when I got to drive into the palace um, with my parents and my husband yeah. and receive, like you said, this very prestigious honor and to be greeted um, at the time, Prince Charles, but now King Charles. Um, and, and it wasn't just being greeted. He had a, he had a good on conversation with me about my achievements. So um, that just felt really, really personal that he had taken the time to understand what it is that I'd done and ask questions yeah. um, and, and celebrate and congratulate um Congratulations. Okay, so if you we haven't piled praise on you enough, you're also you're very young to receive that award as well. So um, so I feel inadequate. Right. Anyway, um, let's move on to the fact that you want to inspire young women in STEM, uh, into STEM, to taking on on board those careers. Have you any advice that you'd offer? Any little tips, or maybe that's trivialising it too much, but advice for people who want to follow in your footsteps. I think my the biggest advice that I could give somebody is is just to be inquisitive, um, especially when you're younger, to ask questions. You know, hey, what do you do? What does it entail? What does it mean? How could I? You know, I think it's never my success has definitely been because of the questions that I've asked, not the answers that I've given. Uh, and I would always encourage people to ask questions of of everyone. <laughs> I'm that random person who will sit next to you on the train and, you know, have a full on conversation for two hours on the way back from Amsterdam. You know, that's what I do because I'm so interested in people's journeys, in what they know, in what I can learn. And I think that that kind of nurturing that inquisitive um, side of me has definitely um, propelled like my career. Is there a direct link between um, being inquisitive and being an engineer. Yeah, for sure. I think it's all oh, this, this, this need to know, well, how does it work? Um, what will it do if I change this? Um, and that's that inquisitiveness, um, is also kind of creativity, right? And, and it, yeah, it kind of, uh, transpires in different ways. But for me, I would say people think engineers are really technical academic, you know, heads down people. And often they can be, but for me, it's always been around, creativity, exploring, yeah. problem solving, fixing, solutionizing. Um, and it's a different energy um, yeah. that than I thought in terms of what an engineer yeah, holds. I, I mean, this is probably not appropriate for the podcast. So sorry, Mark, if you have to edit this out. But I think this is, um, I'm fascinated by how we perceive creativity and we sort of think of it as a kind of artistic endeavor as opposed to uh, uh, finding solutions, which is actually what creativity is, finding new ways of, of doing things. Hmm. Um, right, so... 
You started at Jet a year ago. How have you changed? How have you evolved? What have you learned in that last year? Yeah, I mean, really great question. I've actually been doing some reflecting on this because it's really it really is coming up to a year and you know, um it's always a good time for a reflection, kind of reaching an anniversary of something. And when I look back, I really am proud actually of how I've grown not as a technical specialist, which is previously how I would always define success, right? What have I, what accolade have I received or what additional kind of educational um, certificate have I worked towards? But as I kind of grow um, in my career, it's very much becoming around how am I growing as a leader? Um, And so that's always, that's my new measure of success, right? How have I nurtured people? How how have I nurtured talent? What learning opportunities have I helped to create? Um, How have people grown under my team Um, or also outside of my team? How am I helping and um, potentially shaping the career of others? I kind of feel like I've got to the stage in my career where I really want to help others on their journey because I feel like I've learned a lot of lessons along the way and I want to be able to, yeah, share and impart some of that knowledge and some of those nuggets with others. So what is your leadership style then? If it's important, I mean, how would you describe it? Or more importantly, how do you think your team would describe your leadership style? Oh, I would hope that they describe it as um, very inclusive, um, collaborative, uh, and empowering. So for me, it's right. Unlocking what's already within someone. It's not necessarily of completely trying to change, you know, who somebody is or what's important to them. So I'm very kind of value, um, driven, um, the people at the core is what really matters to me, right? Who you are as an individual, not who you are as an employee or, or as a direct report of mine, but who are you? What, um, uh, what's important to you? What values, um, do you hold close and how can I help, um, you reach your objectives in and out of work? I would say that is, I don't know how to describe that in a word in terms of style. Um, other than, yeah, I think I'm just really interested in, in the human. So, so how do you make sure those communication lines are always open? How do you make sure that you do know your team as well as you want to? Yeah. So a lot of my team are actually based in a completely different location to me. So I'm based in London. A lot of my team are based in Amsterdam. And I think part of this starts with like with myself, right? So I've always been very open, very transparent. I talk about my whole self. That's not just me as, you know, head of responsible business and sustainability. That's also me as um, somebody who's new to the business, um, somebody who's juggling work and home and childcare, somebody who's struggled with infertility, um, somebody who, you know, is from um, an ethnic minority background. I talk about my whole self, the challenges that I face, the opportunities that I've had. Um, and I think that that's a really important part of being a leader is bringing your whole self to work because ultimately I don't think there's a huge amount of separating the two. Um, you know, I can't leave who I am at, at the door, at the office door or, you know, at the laptop. Um, yeah. And so that, that authentic point, so being open, um, honest, authentic, vulnerable to your team, mm-hmm. do you, does that draw out the same from them? And then you have that kind of cohesive working partnership. Is that, is that how it works? Yeah, for sure. And I think that what we've created is a bit of a family, right? And because it is that open, we do spend a load of time together. And, you know, it's, again, it's, I don't want it, I don't want them to ever feel as though, oh, I can't talk to Jazz about 
because. Um, so it's a very, yeah, what I tried to create is that kind of very open environment of, you know, how can we help? We are here to help and support each other and we want each other to um, succeed in all aspects of our life. And um, yeah, I feel that it has drawn out that kind of, it has helped other people to open up um, yeah. that may not have done so under different leadership. Yeah. I, I, and I know that um, lines of communication between leadership and colleagues is really important that those are open at JET as an organization. Have you been within other organizations which obviously will, will remain nameless, but perhaps where that isn't the case, where there is that more kind of top-down um, leadership style, which doesn't bring people out, doesn't let them blossom. Yeah, and I th- but I, again, I think that it's down to the individuals, right? So if I was in that scenario, it just wouldn't work for me and I wouldn't be there for very long. Yeah. And I think that that's the kind of, I tend to vote with my feet. If, if that's the kind of culture that's being kind of forced upon you, then it's just not one where I would thrive. And what I'm trying to do is create an environment where my team will thrive. Um, so yeah, there, there have definitely been examples, um, in my career and, and, um, other companies that I've worked for where it's just, it's not as open or it's not as welcomed or, um, it is very kind of, you know, work here and then play over there. Um, but I also think that time has evolved, you know, hybrid working has allowed for people's actual lives to feature a little bit more on things like work calls, et cetera. You know, you start to see people in their homes, in their, in their comfortable clothes. Um, you see maybe pets or children or whatever it might be. So I think that that has certainly helped normalize, um, the bringing, you know, yourself, your actual self to work. Okay. So potentially, um, unhelpful, uh, controversial addendum to that question. Do you feel that that nurturing leadership style that you've just described which clearly works and clearly brings out the best in people is potentially as a result of more women in leadership positions uh, i don't necessarily think it's a case of women although i am a woman right um i just think that it's it's the case of diversity right diversity in any you know through any way in which you want to describe it but ultimately it's that diversity of thought and the diversity of experience that i bring so yes i am a woman yes i am um, i'm south asian um yes i'm relatively young although i'm not sure how <laughs> how many more years i can get away with saying that um so i am very different but actually it's it's the experiences that i've had which are not down to necessarily being a woman or south asian it's it's you know the fact that i studied engineering um perhaps the fact that i had two older brothers perhaps the fact that um things that i've seen or experienced or heard and that that is what shapes me and i think that that diversity in thought and experience is far more important in terms of you know um different leadership styles uh, and it's people embracing that diversity and thought that is going to be really important to making sure we've got, yes, more nurturing um, leaders alongside the, I guess, the more traditional conventional types of leadership. But I don't say, I don't, wouldn't say it's necessarily unique to, you know, me as a woman, I've actually had very nurturing male managers in the past. And like I said, that's where I thrive and that's where I've stayed because that's something that I, that really does um, resonate with kind of who I am and my moral compass. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, change of direction, work-life balance. What does a work-life balance look like to you? I mean, this has always been a very important consideration for me, right? So pre-lockdown, pre this working from home, I have always um, carved out a Friday, generally a Friday working from home. And that for me ha- allows me to 
yeah, not just uh, set aside some thinking time um, to get things done, but it might mean I can, I don't know, record a podcast, <laughs> write a blog, meet somebody random for a coffee, um, do some online training. Like I've always purposefully uh, built in personal development time. And I often um, have used kind of, you know, oh, maybe I'll start this one again in terms of, I think my thinking, what I'm trying to develop here is like, like work-life balance is really, really crucial, right? Because as I mentioned earlier, it's about bringing your whole self to work. And that isn't just your, your nine to five responsibilities. For me, it's around how do I do the things that I'm interested in outside of work? How do I also create time for those? That might be more of the, you know, developing a pipeline of women in STEM. It might be a, a personal challenge that I want to set myself in terms of health and fitness. It might be more time that I want to spend with my family or, you know, running kind of personal admin of, of appointments and whatever it might be. And I think that it's really important to kind of, for one, not to hinder the other all the time. And it's about striking. There'll be times where it's, full focus on work. And sometimes it can feel like a little bit overwhelming, but I know that the next week I'm going to take the, take the pedal off almost a little bit and focus on the other parts that I've maybe, be, maybe neglected for that week. And I think it's just making sure that you have enough, um, for, for all the highs that you have, um, for all the peaks that you have, you're kind of giving yourself enough downtime to recover, to recuperate, to re-energize and to bring yourself back to kind of the energy levels that you need. Jazz, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely chatting to you. Thank you for listening to We Are Jet. If you'd like to know more about working at Just Eat Takeaway, go to careers.justeattakeaway.com. Our career website can also be found in our show notes. My name is Ed Palmer. Talk to you soon.